Hello and welcome to my podcast, Jerry Chemeke's Audio Storytelling Sessions. On this episode, I'll be reading a short story. This one is called Windfalls and is written by Nigerian author Leslie Neka Arima and it's taken from a short story collection, What It Means When a Man Falls in the Sky. The first time you fell, you were six. Before then, you were too young to fall and had to be dropped, pushed, made to sleep for the sake of authenticity. You learned to fall out of self-preservation as your mother pushed too hard, dropped from too high a height. You have been living off these falls for years, sometimes hers, but mostly yours. A sobbing child garners more sympathy than a pretty but aging mother of one. There is a science to it, falling. One can't just trip over one's own foot, land on one's face and expect a payoff. First, find or create a puddle of some sort. Pierce one or two shrink-wrapped containers of chicken and discreetly allow the draining fluid to pull on the floor. When the fall begins, think of it as a dance. Right leg up, two, three, four. Left leg buckle two, three, four, land askew and away the attention of an audience. Cry silent tears at first, that build to anguished wails as all efforts to remain stoic come to naught. Have one child's cry along for effect, or better yet, drop her during the fall, let her slip up the hip. As an added bonus, our injuries will be real. Every year, Approximately 600 lawsuits are filed against grocery stores and supermarkets across the nation due to negligence, discrimination, coupon infringement, etc. 200 of these cases are dismissed without funfair. 100 are battled out in court, but the remaining 300 are settled for undisclosed amounts and gag orders. The odds are in your favor. You haven't always lived this way. Or so you imagine. There is a well-preserved, wallet-sized family portrait your mother carries in her purse that shows her sitting down with a baby, presumably you, in a lap. She is younger and prettier, wearing a mom's sweater. She'd never be caught dead in now. Crazily patterned and hued, as though designed by an epileptic in a full swing of seizure. Standing behind her is a man. That ugly son of a bitch who fathered you and then died two and a half years later, blown to so much fleshy debris in an offshore accident. All you remember of him are his hands, large and hairy, and the metallic taste of the thick gold ring he always wore. In that same purse, your mother carries a picture of the house she bought with the settlement she was awarded after the accident. The house is beautiful. This is the picture she clutches when she cries. Your mother is a woman who craves the attention of men. After the money came, so did they, poking their way into her life and her bank account, draining both. The settlement money was gone by the time you were four, as was the house, put up as collateral for some pretty boy venture. Something about the gym or tanning salon, you don't remember which. It's not something you talk about. You like to believe that the first fall, the one that left you with a permanent brace on your ankle, was real. 
that she was reaching over to grab the biggest, freshest eggplant of the display, but slipped and oh shit, dropped the baby. The store settled without a fuss, blaming the Ogozilla's produce misters for leaving the floor wet. The money lasted for a good three years and would probably have lasted longer, were it not for Matthias, the audio mechanic, and Chooks, the bouncer, and Dwayne, the sex offender, as he soon found out. Some people find it easy to be good when the going is good, but lack the fortitude or hardship. Your mother is among them. She could have gone to her father, head bowed so low, she'd have gravel and leaves in her hair. But she'd married against his wishes, moved to the states against his wishes, and had you against his wishes. Oh, it's a man he called that fool from Calabar. The extended family had been forbidden to attend the wedding, and you have no idea what your grandfather looks like, except that you look nothing like him, and your mother is grateful for this. You change names and addresses so many times that you have written Amara on dusty cars across the office, and in coffee grounds spilled on motel breakfast counters. You whisper it as you fall asleep, so you don't forget which name is real. And so it goes, year after year after year. The fall, the payoff, the glitz. Always followed by slipping out of apartment windows and rented trailers, clothing stuffed in pillowcases and grocery bags, thrown into the trunk of the car. Please, God, let it start. And on to the next town, the next mark. You were sitting in the lobby of Jones and Margus, trailing your arm, which was in a cast. It may as well have been Hunter and Kleb, or Dynasty and Associates. Any in the string of ambulance chasing firms you had used in the past. Your mother was beside you and pulled you up when you were motioned to the small office. In firms this size, junior associates, some hapless law graduate from an area law school, screens plaintiffs. You were relieved to see a woman behind the desk. This spared your mother the embarrassing last resort of offering a blowjob to convince the lawyer to take your case. It also relieved you of extending one yourself, discreetly of course, and only after you turn 13, when your mother excused herself on a false trip to the bathroom. As the woman rattled out the information you provided so far, you picked up a letter opener resting on the edge of the desk and twirled it between your fingers. The handle was weighty and appeared to be carved from home. I'm sorry. But I don't think we'll be able to move forward with your case. You were prepared for this, and your mother launched into a dark track. It was tearful and ugly and manufactured, right down to the last sniffle. The clerk sat there, polite but unmoved, watching you instead of your mother. You realized your mistake, that you should have been the one with the tearful monologue this time. It's a tricky thing, this act. If one is working with a child, use her on the women. Most will have children of their own. Others will wish they did. So tears are guaranteed to elicit concern. Women should work on men themselves. Breasts are heaving. Tears are flowing. When age leeches tautness in face and body, take note as men's eyes follow the child's ripening form. For a brief span of years, she will be perfect. Old enough to capture men's lust, young enough to rouse women's sympathy. 
make use this Marsha will see you out, and I will need that back, please, the associate said, indicating the little opener you still have in your hand. As you were handing, we handing it back to her, handle first, you looked into her eyes. They were knowing, like she saw through you. You felt as though you were falling, and you don't know what got into you, but you didn't let go. It became a tug of war that the associate eventually won, but only by jerking the letter up and out of your hand at an angle that sliced into your palm. Your mother, about the opportunist, screeched. Oh my God, you caught her. Oh baby, Gracelyn, are you okay? I'm pressing charges. The woman apologized profusely, waddling up tissue to staunch the trickle of blood. But your mother was in full swing by then bleeding palm her prop and launched into the lobby with you in a grip. The firm exchanged a large check for drop charges and your silence and for months you lived like queens. You moved into a motel where you had your own bed, a rarity, and your mother gave you a daily allowance to spend at the fairgrounds a quarter mile away. You hobbled to the grounds while your mother occupied herself with shopping and the men who darted in and out of her life like a lizard's tongue. You spent the days balancing on the ejection seat and testing your aim at the chumper lump. You insisted on riding the tunnel of love by yourself. Despite the efforts of Giles, the carney, to find you a partner. Come on, fellas. You aren't going to let the little lady go by herself. And his efforts to join you later at night when he clocked out. The women and children who waited in line giggled at you for riding alone. While they spend their day at the fair, dodging overbearing parents and piles of manure from the livestock on display, you, too much your mother's daughter in face and body, dodged the hands of eager men. Baby, I'm so proud of you. Your mother lay next to you on your bed and picked at the plastic fittings on your brace, a nervous habit she'd gotten from you. The scent of Chinese food wafted from the trash in the corner where the roaches that never bothered her would soon gather. She waved her hand, heavy with costume rings, at the room. All this because of you. Your palm, marred with the hoary scar, itched. You never considered another lifestyle, tethered to your mother by familiarity and a notion of loyalty. Then you discovered your pregnancy. You were sitting in the parking lot of a 7-Eleven when your mother handed you a $5 bill to purchase tampons, something she'd been doing with soldierly regularity the third week of every month since you turned 12. I'm surprised you haven't asked me yet. In the silence that followed, the words weighed heavily. You ended up purchasing a pregnancy test instead, and 35 minutes later, under the flickering fluorescent of a gas station bathroom, the fetal presence was confirmed. There were a few paternal options. One was Billy, the law clerk and recipient of a blowjob that had gotten out of hand. Upon catching you, your mother had flashed a birth certificate, verifying the delivery of a baby girl now 15 and too young to be bent over that desk, bare stomach resting on the polished wood, servicing a man almost twice her age. He'd wasted no time sliding your suit to the top of the pile. Money had lasted a few weeks until you had to pay for your car to be towed off the highway to the Lucky Leaf truck shop. There you were assisted by Randall, the trucker, 
who turned out to be the guy a girl had to do to get the ride around here. He lets you out three days and a 2,000 miles later, leaving you with one last blast of his own and a wire that amounted to $850. You use this money to purchase a car from Jerry, the used car salesman who had to be persuaded to discount the price of the dark green Camry that had caught your mother's eye. You couldn't afford to see a doctor and rarely settled into a town long enough to locate a free clinic, so you spent every spare dollar on baby books, parenting manuals, and potty training tomes. You were convinced you could change your diaper in 12.8 seconds. Very young children require stability as they grow to ensure sound development. You read out loud from your latest acquisition, the formula for a well child. Your mother was watching the road through six months along and had begun hinting to her that your unstable life wouldn't contribute a fair environment for the baby. What do you think about that? She turned up the radio, cutting you off. A deep, thrumming vase filled the car. She ignored you off to now, getting up to leave when you were on one of your baby rants, she called him. But at the moment, you were captive of a moving vehicle, so you decided to press the issue and told the volume down. We can't keep doing this. We need to stop. Really stop somewhere. You think I'm stupid or something? I know we got to stop somewhere. Okay, but it needs to be soon. You patted your belly, now the dimensions of one of those personal-sized watermelons. Earlier, you'd speculated to your mother that it could be twins, but she just rolled her eyes. You grabbed the side of the door as the car swept to the shoulder. Your mother rounded on you. If you've got something to say, then say it. I'm just saying it needs to be soon. If you're going to stop, it needs to be soon. That's all. Why? You think I don't know these things? You think I'm a bad mother or something? The question came from left field. Was she a bad mother? You're 15 years old and pregnant because she wanted a price cut and a battered green Toyota. You weren't sure how to answer, so you didn't. She pulled back onto the road and continued, silent. At the next town, she stopped at the first grocery store you saw. You insisted on eating as healthy as you could manage and made frequent stops for fruit, which you ate hastily to avoid rot. Your mother pulled into the furthest open parking spot and handed you a 20. Hurry up! She levered her seat back and closed her eyes. You eased out of the car and made your way to the store, right outside. A group of girls with signs identifying them as Glendon Elementary School students were selling cookies to existing customers. Two women, probably moms to some of the girls, stood watch behind them, making change and straightening uniforms. One woman, short and round like a grapefruit, adjusted the girl's ponytail. The girl bobbed her head as she spoke, and the ponytail came out lopsided and loose. The woman would have to redo it soon. It was a simple, effortless act, but you realized that you'd never felt your mother's hands in your hair in quite that way. You continued past them into the store and picked up a shopping basket. Instead of heading for the grocery aisle, you began to look for the section that stopped children's clothing. You wouldn't buy anything until you found out the sex of the child. There was money to spare. It was nice to look. 
A group of small boys barred around you, ice cream cones in hand. Excuse me, ma'am. Excuse me. Sorry. Politely, I've avoided slamming into you and you smiled after them, which was why you didn't see the puddle of melting ice cream one boy left behind. You dropped the shopping basket. Your feet slid out from under you, right crossing behind left. The metal edges of the brace failed to find purchase on the tile. Your knee buckled and you put your hands out to catch your weight. Your face angled forward. You knew from years of practice that your chin would be the point of impact and you braced yourself. But your belly caught your fall. It held and crumpled and spread like a ball of play-doh under a child's fist. The pain was instant and blinding. You heard someone wailing and the concerned murmur of the crowd that gathered. When the keen of an ambulance sounded in the distance, it blacked out. You lost the baby. The nurse informed you as soon as you woke. She was brisk and added, you were young yet. It was a girl and you thought about the pink baby you passed up two towns ago. You wavered in and out of consciousness as your body shut down to repair itself. You weren't allowed any visitors for several hours. The first was your mother, unsurprisingly. It was the middle of the day, but your lids were still heavy. You lay on your side, a recommendation from the doctor. The curtains were drawn short, and the dim light lulled you back to sleep. You woke every few minutes as your mother entered and exited the room. You could hear her voice in the hallway. It was shrill, and you knew she was either excited or angry. She walked in and took a seat. Her hand stroked your sweaty head and she leaned into you, lips rubbing your ear as she whispered. $500,000, baby. That's my girl. You pulled your head out from under her hand. You smoothed the sheets across your shoulders and to anyone looking at that moment, she must have resembled a concerned caretaker. Maybe if you continue looking at her from that angle, you'll begin to believe that too.